Now on view at SCAD Fash, Manish Aurora's Life is Beautiful. Renowned for dazzling designs and a rainbow of colors, Manish Aurora has brought the talent and craftsmanship of India's rich sartorial history to the global forefront, earning international acclaim on runways across three continents. Designing in India since the 1990s, Aurora's glittering garments celebrate extravagant expressions of self through varied materials, techniques, and silhouettes in a triumphant union of Western and Eastern aesthetics adapted to today's multicultural society with a touch of humor. Find out more at scadfash.org. Support for WABE comes from 100 Miles, a nonprofit committed to preserving Georgia's 100-mile coast. Protecting this critical coastal ecosystem takes all of us. Watch the stories of the innovators and future leaders who help keep our coast flowing at OurGeorgiaCoast.org. From WABE in Atlanta, this is City Lights. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. Alcoholism is no laughing matter. Yet the new TV series, Single Drunk Female, finds humor in recovery. The show was filmed in Atlanta and stars Sophia Black, Delia as Samantha Fink, a writer in her late 20s who has a spectacularly embarrassing public breakdown and is then forced to move back home to Boston to sober up and avoid jail time. Samantha's mom, Carol, is played by the one and only Ali Sheedy. Later this hour, City Lights senior producer Kim Drobes talks with Ali Sheedy, Sophia Black D'Elia, and writer Simone Finch. First, finding new life and bringing new art to an old vacant school. The Creatives Project is Atlanta's first nonprofit that supports artists by offering affordable housing programs. Last fall, the Academy Lofts of Adair Park opened 35 residential microunits as a space for Atlanta artists to live affordably while also showcasing their talents. The Creative Projects recently opened their annual hashtag Art of Community exhibition, Ascension, to showcase the artists' works. Joining me now via Zoom is the Creative Projects founder, Netta Abgari, and one of the artists in studio, Chloe Alexander. Welcome to City Lights. Thank you for having us, Lois. Thank you. Netta, we last spoke five years ago. Would you talk about how you conceived the idea for the Creatives Project, which maybe we should refer to as TCP for brevity now. Yes, absolutely. So the idea for TCP actually came about in 2009 <laughs> when the market had crashed and I was 
just leaving teaching art, I knew a number of investors and I knew a number of artists. All of us were in an interesting state with the economy being what it was. And so I just had this idea. What if I was to bring my networks together? What if I could bring the investors that I know together with the artists that I know to support the communities that we love through a residency program? And that's where the idea for the Creatives Project was born. My goodness. But realizing it has been quite an endeavor and a long one. It, it sure has. We are in our 10th year. <laughs> so bringing the vision to life has truly required multiple partnerships, tons of supporters, amazing artists, um, really coming together as a community. Uh, the idea for the Academy Lofts actually started taking shape in my mind when I had space at the Telephone Factory Lofts, as many may remember it was actually an affordable space for artists as well. And so while I had studio space there, I always envisioned like, what would it be like to have a building where we had artists living there, working there, but then also working within the community. And then I would say from the time I had that idea, <laughs> I think it was probably like five years later that I met Stan Sugarman and Atticus LeBlanc of Striant Construction. And they were really interested in the work of TCP and what we were doing to support artists with space. They came across the former Georgia Dare School, which is now the Academy Lofts. And upon our meeting, we, we just found so much connection and alignment. Um, and we decided to partner together. And here we are five years later. What's the selection process for choosing artists who will live and create in this affordable housing? So the Creatives Project actually has two residency programs, the Artist in Studio residency, which Chloe is a part of, and also the Art Force Housing residency, which is the one at the Academy Lofts. And with both, the selection process requires an application submission where artists really talk about their work within the community, ideas that they might, might have for community-based outreach. We take a look at their history in, within arts creation and development, and the applications are then reviewed. At the Academy Lofts, for this particular residency, it's a little bit more involved because it truly is affordable housing. So the housing that's available is based on 60% area and median income. And so everyone living there in the 30 units that are affordable have to actually fall within the income requirements. So that second stage of the application is something that the Striant Investments and Management leads and takes on. It's basically an online application process for both. That's how the applications are reviewed and the artists are selected. So for the artists in studio, is there a time limit for how long they can live there? So for clarification, the artists in studio residency program is actually located at the Goat Farm Arts Center, or it had been historically. Um, and as we all know that the goat farm is going through some serious renovations. <laughs> so through a partnership with Tribridge Residential, 
our artists in that program receive space at one of their properties. And that program is two years long. So Chloe has been in residence along with the other eight artists with us for two years. I see. And that is for studio space, not for living space. Correct. The studio residency is only provides studio space, whereas the Art Force Residency Program provides housing and additional studio space. Okay, and does that also have a two-year limit? We do provide the residency for two years, but understanding that housing is a bit more organic, not all the residents stay for two years. <laughs> you know, I know in, in people's living situations, although we we offer two years, we may have changes in people's life circumstances. So we commit to two years and we love for the artist to stay, but that application process is more of a rolling application to allow for more flexibility. Yeah, that's easy to understand. If you are just joining us, this is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Wrights, speaking with Netta Abgari, founder of The Creatives Project, and Chloe Alexander, one of the artists in studio at Academy Lofts. Chloe, how did you come to know about The Creatives Project, the TCP? I was actually working in the West End as a math teacher at a local charter school and another employee, she worked in the front office. Both she and I worked in the arts outside of the classroom. And so she was into clothing design and lifestyle design and interior design. And we would talk about, you know, balancing our professional lives and our creative lives. And she actually sent me the application. And at that time, I hadn't done art for maybe five years. Um, I had small kids, and I kind of focused on my teaching career. And so I applied because she kept pushing me, and I had an interview, and then I did not get accepted that first time. But what I did appreciate was instead of just getting the standard rejection, we didn't select you, um, it actually offered me some feedback. And so the feedback I received was that my portfolio wasn't strong enough. And so I kind of took that advice and acted on it. And I, I did see, like I said, I took a leap by applying for this after not really doing art extensively or in a committed way since graduating from my undergrad program. In between that time and my second time applying, I did another residency where locally where I was able to really put together a cohesive portfolio and focus on the quality of my work. And so when I applied the second time, I made sure I had a much more consistent and stronger portfolio. And thankfully, um, I was accepted. <laughs> Wonderful. The power of constructive criticism. What do you have to do in exchange for this opportunity you've been given? So in exchange for 12 hours a month in the community, which is really just you know, three hours or so a week, we got studio space that was shared with, um, depending on where we were located, two or one or two other artists. But of course, with the pandemic, it threw a wrench in things. And so a lot of outreach programs weren't really accessible. And even working in education, 
even though a lot of the COVID restrictions have been lifted, you still can't really easily access um, after-school programs and programs that serve students in the public school system all that easily because of safety precautions. And so we actually did a lot of our outreach online. We did workshops that were in several series for our first and second year to kind of make up for the fact that we weren't able to work with the community face-to-face. Sure. Chloe, how would you describe your artwork? I'm a printmaker, and so I work in various printmaking processes, primarily in screen printing and relief printing, so lino cuts and wood cuts. And I often layer different techniques and other media. So most of my prints are not traditional prints where they all look exactly the same. There's quite a bit of variation. And I also incorporate the use of the figure in most of my work. So lots of portraits and um, representational work in my prints. Will you tell us about your work on view at TCP's hashtag Art of Community exhibition, Ascension? Yes. So one of the things I really appreciate about the Creatives Project is the fact that we are kind of encouraged to experiment and we have the space to do it. And so knowing that it was going to be in that space, I know I wanted to do some kind of installation. And so um, the piece that I have there is actually a large textile that's made up of, I think, 11 or 12 individual wood block prints that are printed on fabric and then cut apart and then reassembled to make a scene. Um, and it's called Catch and Release. And it's pictures, both of my children, um, in this outdoor scene, catching cabbage moths. And it's meant to kind of represent a quintessential kind of Southern outdoor scene. There's lots of motifs that people recognize, like birds and the moths, of course, and then pine trees and elephant ears. And so that's what I have there accompanied by some light boxes with motifs of birds and moths that are kind of suspended around that textile piece. Lots of inspiration from nature. Yes. Netta, please tell us something about the other artists whose works are on display in Ascension. We actually have eight other artists, Rose M. Barron, Eugene Bird, Artemis Jenkins, Walker Keith Jernigan, Crystal Jen Kim, Carly Rickles, Sashi Rome, and Mason Webb. Their work is a range of photography, painting, sculpture, mixed media works, printmaking. It's truly a diverse range of media, and the work just works so beautifully in that space. You mentioned it's been 10 years since you had the idea to provide local artists an affordable space to create as well as to live. How do you feel now that the Academy lofts have become a reality? Are you pinching yourself or are you thinking, oh, I have so much more to do now? (laughs) So it's actually a combination of pinching myself and also relief and a tiny bit of fatigue in there. (laughs) (laughs) It has truly been such a journey and um, we are all very, very proud 
And honestly, this next 10 years also truly marks a new phase in our organization with the Academy Lofts opening. We just hired a new ED, Jennifer Shea Long. So I'm really excited to see where the organization goes and grows under this new leadership in this new space so that I can have a little bit of a break <laughs> moving forward. But, but truly, it's just so inspiring the way that everyone's come together to bring the vision to life. Chloe, how has this opportunity for you to have a free space, education, and opportunities to learn more help you grow as an artist? Um, I think it's helped me grow tremendously, especially considering, like I said, TCP has really taken on the pandemic by creating ways for people to still engage with artwork in a meaningful way. And as a result, we've gotten lots of exposure and press and people who are interested in our work, lots of people locally who maybe didn't know about me or know about my work. I hear all the time, um, I saw your work with TCP, you know, sometimes even a year later. And that has really just kind of helped me to think about ways to grow my work and ways that probably didn't even imagine could be possible previously or maybe wouldn't have happened so quickly. Um, so I'm super thankful for the experience that I've had. That is great. Chloe Alexander, I wish you continued success with your art and your community work. And Netta Abgari, thank you for doing your part to ensure that we don't have starving artists in Atlanta. My pleasure and my honor, Lois. Thank you, Lois. Netta Abgari, founder of The Creatives Project, and Chloe Alexander, one of the artists in studio at Academy Lofts, TCP's 11th Annual Art of Community exhibition, titled Ascension, is on view through March 13th in Adair Park. More information can be found on our website, wabe.org slash in a moment, the next installment in our series, Speaking of Music, today featuring Anna Kramer. Amplifying Atlanta, this is WABE. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. 
Thank you for joining me. It's time now for our segment, Speaking of Music, where we get to hear from Atlanta musicians in their own words. Hey everyone, I'm Anna Kramer and I play guitar and sing. I would say my musical style is a little bit country and a little bit rock and roll. are musicians and we just always had music playing in the house but I started with the guitar when I was about 15 and I was not so great I had to just keep keep at it but I was influenced by George Harrison Keith Richards Ron Wood and um, I just always chased that tone I just loved the tone of their guitars I would say Atlanta has influenced my music just by letting me be who I want to be. That's really what I truly appreciate about being here, is that you can just kind of be whoever you want to be, uh, play whatever you want to play, and there's usually going to be a venue for you or somebody that you can play with. Before COVID, I was on tour with all of my bands. I'm in a band called Shanti Shanti and a band, Nikki and the Phantom Callers. And then my band is Anna Kramer and Easy Now. My favorite places to go hear music live are 529, uh, The Earl, The Star Bar, Boggs, and of course The Fox, Tabernacle, Variety Playhouse. We've got a lot of good places here in Atlanta. just about touring. It's just kind of a really good driving song if you're just driving down the road and it just kind of gives you this, or at least it gives me a feeling of like traveling and I love that. coming out with a record and we've kind of stalled it during COVID but I would say it's going to be out at least by summer maybe fall of this year and it's called I'm so happy you're here so you'll hear these two songs on it and more But I know that I can't 
multi-talented musician Anna Kramer and our series Speaking of Music. More information about Anna Kramer is available on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. Coming up, a new TV series that was filmed in Atlanta takes on sobriety with humor and heart. Amplifying Atlanta, this is 90.1 WABE. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for being here. Freeform's new TV series, Single Drunk Female, does something quite impressive. It finds the humor in recovery. The show, which was filmed in Atlanta, stars Sophia Black D'Elia as Samantha Fink. Sam is a writer in her late 20s who has a spectacularly embarrassing public breakdown and is then forced to move back home to Boston to sober up and avoid jail time. Samantha's mom, Carol, is played by the one and only Ali Sheedy, and the show is written and produced by Simone Finch. Recently, City Light senior producer Kim Drobes talked with Simone, Sophia, and Ali over Zoom, and Simone began with a brief synopsis of the show. It's basically about the first year of Samantha Fink's sobriety and how there's kind of this village around her that helps her get sober and helps her um, realize her best self. Right. And so I got to say, this is the most authentic and funny and heartfelt story of sobriety that I've really been exposed to. And I have to believe that it comes from a very real place. Simone, I've read a little bit of background. Would you mind sharing your personal history and how it relates to you creating this story? Yeah, um, I am an alcoholic, um, recovering alcoholic. And I at first started writing about a, a hot mess. It was a the time of train wreck, uh, when you could just throw away a bong and, and get sober overnight. I, mm-hmm. I wish I could have done that, but it didn't work out for me that way. And then I got got sober in 2014 and I realized that this story was about an alcoholic and that it was about me. And, you know, it kind of came from there. The mother-daughter relationship is really uh, me and my mother. (laughs) Mm. And um, there's some stuff later in the season about the father that definitely relates to me as well. I never was arrested or uh, hit a party bus, (laughs) but there's still a lot of the authentic sober feelings are definitely from an authentic place. Yeah, the things that happen when people are addressing sobriety is really just the things that we all deal with as humans all the time and trying to be adults and communicate. But when you're used to filtering all that through a substance, when you're sober, you have to relearn how to do that. So you've painted this picture of someone relearning how to deal with friendships and relationships and family. And it's it's all told in a very vulnerable way. Thank you. I I was hoping that that's how it came off, but you never know. (laughs) 
<laughs> it does. Um, Allie, welcome. Yes. Very happy to have you here. Thank when you. When I saw you in this role, it reminded me of your indie film, High Art, and thinking about you in that role and then what you could have pulled from your own life experience that would transfer from a role like that to being the mother of someone who's dealing with issues <laughs> here. What was that like for you? You know what? I guess going through the journey of the career of working every single role lends something to the next one. You learn something from everything. Carol is really uh, my mom, myself as a mom. Um, there's some other influences in there, but she's coming from the place that I am at right now at 59, which is a completely mm. different place. <laughs> where I was sure. 20 years ago. So I'm bringing in all, I think all of that is coming in. That makes sense. Here's a clip of Allie as Carol in Single Drunk Female addressing Sophia's character, her daughter, Samantha. So Giovanni's, yep, I'm proud of you. Definitely did not think you could do it. I'm really sorry for crashing your car. Don't be dramatic. I was 12 years old. They don't even make parts for it anymore. So what are you going to do? What are you doing? What? That you could have one glass of wine. No, no, I can't. Unfortunately, that's not how it works. I can do this though, right? That's okay. Yeah, yeah, you can do whatever you want, Mom. Phew. <laughs> not that it's a big deal or anything. That's from pretty early in the season, but it gives a good hint at the mother-daughter dynamic that's happening in the show. You know, as you hear Ali's character obliviously pouring some wine for Sam, it made me think about how other generations have addressed sobriety. Simone, do you think this story would have worked 20 to 30 years ago? I don't think it would have because we have a greater understanding of alcoholism and addiction than we did, you know, 20 or 30 years ago. However, there's still a lot of stigma and there's still a lot of misinformation. I don't know, we're, we're better than we were, but I still think we have a ways to go. Yeah, understandable. Sophia, welcome. Very Hi. happy to have you here. Thank you Hi. so much for having me. Well, tell me this, as far as your background goes, would you call this one of the more comedic roles that you've had an opportunity to play? It definitely is. There's so much humor that you've brought to it. Here's a quick clip of Sophia, Sam, giving into some really awkward tendencies. I'm around. No, I know. Thank you. No, of course. And I have a, have a good day and I... And I'll see you another time. And if I don't, that's totally fine too. But in the meantime, you know, stay well and take care of you. Yeah. I. What? Great delivery there, Sophia. Oh, thank you. The only really straight comedy I, I did before this job was uh, a series called The Mick um, on Fox, mm. which was sort of like jumping into the, the deep end of the pool because all of my scenes were opposite Caitlin Olsen, who I consider to be <laughs> one of, if not the funniest uh, people on television. So I learned a lot from her and she sort of instilled me with the confidence that I could tackle a, a part like this. And it's just been an absolute joy. I, I really love this space, this particular comedic space. Are there any physical challenges that go along to doing a comedy where you're intoxicated for a lot of the scenes? Yeah, you know, I know that a lot of people think that drunk acting is is sort of this like really challenging thing. For me, I was way more concerned with the Boston accent 
personally. Ah. Um, I think <laughs> as a Jersey girl, uh, I know all too well how often people can get East Coast accents wrong and how it can feel like uh, a personal mm. affront. And so I did not want <laughs> to offend anybody. So yeah, that was the thing that kept me up at night was was more so the Boston accent. That makes sense. And that kind of brings me to the fact that this was filmed here in Atlanta, but is set obviously in Boston. It made me wonder how you guys were able to take yourself in and out of that world with such heavy Boston accents around you and then the camera turning off and everyone having Southern drawls Mm -hmm. and wanting to know how y'all are feeling. Well, that was lovely, I have to say. I mean... It was such an amazing place to shoot. And um, I haven't filmed anything in Atlanta in a very long time. Uh, Not since, you know, the beginning of my career, I think 10 years ago. And it's so amazing to see how busy it's gotten and how many productions are being shot right now. And especially at the same time as us. I mean, I think there was something like 72 productions at the same time, which is unbelievable. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's incredible. So yeah, I I loved shooting in Atlanta. The food was amazing. The people were lovely. Our crew was incredibly dedicated and we're all easy laughs, which is always welcome and appreciated on a comedy set. So it was great. (laughs) Very cool. Well, going back to the Boston accents, Felicia Lily Mae Harrington, holy moly. I feel like it's safe to assume that she is a native of that region. She's from uh, she's from Cape Cod, which is a little different. Um, sometimes I would say, you know, try not to open your mouth so much. <laughs> <laughs> and she'd be like, I get it. So I was the accent coach that would sort of, but when she was drunk, for example, that was great because like, then you can go crazy. But sometimes you had to rein her in a little bit. So you're telling me that a Cape Cod accent is even heavier than a Boston accent? It's different. Yeah, it's it's like um, the dialects of, yeah, it's a little different. I hear it, but I I can't describe it to you. (laughs) Well, let's let a clip do the describing. Here's Lily Mae Harrington as Felicia in Single Drunk Female. Okay, hold this. Pretend like you're reading it. I could actually read it. I know how to read. Oh, great. That'll make it look much more natural. Okay, ready? Here we go. Soba Sam on the prowl. Yes, baby. Look at her. She's a real lady. She sits like a lady and reads thick ass books. Yes. Well, she is a great example of what an amazing supporting cast you guys have. You did not hold back with giving depth to all of your characters, regardless of how much screen time they get. You have some amazing background characters. There's Jojo Brown, who steals many a scene. What a fantastic (laughs) talent. Samantha, I can see you. Oh, I just, I thought I left a box back here. I hate to play the manager card, but when you're on the clock, I expect you to work the whole time. I know, I'm sorry, I haven't slept in days, okay? How many days since your last drink? Why does everybody keep asking me that? Nine very boring and miserable days. You're a newborn. You're basically in the birth canal. I don't know if you remember the birth canal, but I do. It's my first memory. Let's start with a meeting at Club 24-7. I promised your sponsor, AKA my sponsor first, that I keep an eye on you. I miss being a drunk. There's a lot less accountability. And Rebecca Henderson playing Samantha's sponsor, Olivia, with shout out to NPR. Thank you for writing that in there. (laughs) What? I'm Olivia Elliott, and this is Off Our Docs. 
You're a listener. <laughs> big time, big time listener. Yeah. Wow. Can't believe you're an alcoholic. Anyone can be an alcoholic. It's a disease. Yeah. I just meant like, this is a lot of stuff to get while you're drinking. Oh, I didn't get it while I was drinking. I've been sober for 10 years. But the cash and prizes don't all come at once, so don't call me next week asking me where your mortgage is. I won't. Don't even have a job. That was Rebecca Henderson as Sam's sponsor, Olivia. Simone, why NPR? NPR was the ultimate, like, and my parents made me listen to NPR. It's probably why I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. and, um, so I thought, well, what can she, what, what is like the ultimate thing that, that Olivia can do? And I'm like, work at NPR, obviously. So there, that's where that came from. I love that. I love that's it. so funny. And then, uh, Allie, you get to play opposite of Ian Gomez a lot, who plays Bob, your interest slash boyfriend. You guys have some great comedic timing together. Are any of the scenes improvised? So Ian was given a lot of improv on the set. The scenes were written as they were written. And then on the set, there was some stuff being thrown back and forth with Ian. I think it was just a thing of trying to, the first day he worked, trying to figure out this character. Mm. And Jenny was there. Simone, am I right about this? Wasn't there a lot of on the fly kind of figuring Ian out? Am I right? Yeah, there was. We we weren't a hundred percent because Ian is so funny. Mm-hmm. I don't think Bob at first was so funny, but then Ian was so funny that right. we were like, oh, we have to make him funny. <laughs> right, right. So yeah, that's kind of how it happened. Well, he certainly is funny, and he has some of the silliest lines in the show. Here's a clip with Allie where they're randomly discussing ghosts. I never believed in ghosts until I saw Ghost. Love that movie. Right? Yes. And it's true. They they are around. I have one in my house right now as we speak. I mean, he's not haunting me or anything. He's just kind of hanging out like a college roommate whose girlfriend lives in a better dorm. That's Ian Gomez as Bob in Single Drunk Female. If you're just tuning in, this is City Lights on WABE. I'm Kim Drobes, and I'm speaking with Single Drunk Female's creator and writer, Simone Finch, as well as actors Sophia Black D'Elia and Ali Sheedy. Sophia, what about you? Were there scenes or particular actors you worked with on the show that you found yourself improvising with? There are people that I could improv with all day and then just have so much fun. And it also feels like it's additive, you know, to the story and not just sort of a side tangent. And other times, you know, there are moments where it feels like the writing does all the work for you. And actually, I think a lot of my scenes with Carol feel that way. I've said this to someone many times, but I think the way that she has written the Sam and Carol dynamic and relationship is so beautiful and nuanced and specific that it's sort of all there in the dialogue. Which isn't to say that Allie and I don't play and have fun because of course we do. Um, but I think for the most part, it's not a it's not a heavy improv kind of show, you know, but we do we do try to have fun when we can. I think if you're watching the show and you're wondering what's been made up, just look at to any scene that features John Glazer because he's he's an improv <laughs> genius and yes, I don't think yes, yes. I, I don't think anything he and I have ever said to each other in the cut of the show was ever written on a page anywhere. Here's Sophia as Sam with John Glazer as Nathaniel from Single Drunk Female. Hey, wait, hang on. Nathaniel! Let's get to your car. Then you're home free. Oh, damn. Nathaniel! Oh, hang on a second, man. Hey! Go, go. 
Hi. Wow. Uh, Sam Fink. Yeah. What are you doing in Boston? How have you been? What's going on at Buzz? I'm going to plead the fifth on your questions, because I don't want anything I say to be used against me by you, right? You caught me. Been following you for months. You know, been videotaping everything you do. Actually got in your trunk on the way here. I'm kidding. Oh, that's not super funny. You maimed me. Right. Right? I had an eye patch for a month. I'm, I'm very sorry about that. Are you, though? I endured pirate jokes every day for a month. I'm going to give you a couple so you know what I lived through. Aye, aye, Captain, because of my eye. Pretty stupid. Pretty obvious. One that was actually kind of decent. Lance Armstrong, right? That was my life for a month because of you. Right. No, I am I am genuinely sorry. And I'm sober now, seven months. Oh. So. Well, that's good to hear. I'm glad to hear. Yeah, you do, uh, you do seem less insane. Um, especially the opening scene of the pilot when I come in and I, I'm drunk and uh, he ultimately fires me. I think almost that entire scene was just rift between he and I because he kind of can't help it. It's like a, it's like a beautiful compulsion. The meeting ended 10 minutes ago, Sam. You're late. What? Well, someone changed the meeting time and didn't tell me? That's messed up. Nope. It was probably Austin. Nope. That kid sucks. He's had it out for me since day one. I'm Sam, telling you, he's like genuinely very jealous. Sam, you're drunk. What? You're holding a bottle of vodka right in front of me. This is water. It's water and honestly- Can I smell it? Would it matter? Yeah, it Seriously. actually does matter. It doesn't matter. I could do this job drunk, sober, juggling. I mean, come on, you name it, I could do it. This is ridiculous. We're not winning Pulitzers here, man. I don't want to, like, rain on your parade, but, like... That's Sophia as Sam and John Glazer playing Nathaniel from Single Drunk Female. Allie, Carol's scenes with Ian Gomez as Bob were so sweet and funny. You had a really good dynamic together. You know, the writing's beautiful in the show. So it would come from that, but then there was this finessing, kind of emotional finessing that I was, I was really walking a line can't really explain it, <laughs> but I was. Well, there was a really beautiful scene with the two of you guys where you're being very open and vulnerable about dating again and having sex again as right. a woman of a certain age after a long time. I love that you guys chose to include that within the story. And Simone, I was wondering about that choice. That actually came from Jenny Connor, our showrunner and executive producer. I admit that I can't speak to that yet. Um, <laughs> someday I will when I make my, and just like that, with alcoholism that's real. Just kidding. Um, so, I mean, Carol is a really multifaceted person. And I think that that's one of the reasons why, I mean, maybe Allie can speak to this too, is she's not just the mom character. Right. You know, she's her own, she's a human being who happens to be a mother. And I think that that scene, like she would never show that side to Sam. Right. Right. But she can show that side to Bob. And I think that that's really important for the show and for the character. So that yeah. scene, so that was Jenny, Simone, mostly that particular exchange. Yeah, that was mostly Jenny. And, yeah. and I loved it so from Jenny, the beginning. I thought it was great. Well, Jenny really gets this particular quality that Carol has, this particular tone, this color. She absolutely has this thing that she throws in there that I really bounce off of. That dynamic in that scene, it could have been played so many different ways. I felt when I read it and walked on the set that it was not a joke. The thing about mm -hmm. I'm 30 years younger and the boudoir and blah, blah, blah. I just felt like, no, this is, 
there's something else going on here, very private. Um, yes. And I have got to say, Trayvon Free was directing that episode and I didn't even know him from before. <laughs> and I just went up and said, this is how it feels to me that the dynamic of this exchange needs to go for what I'm playing with Carol and how recently, two and a half years, the, the loss of the husband and what's happened ever since then, it just feels like it needs to go in this direction. Here's the particular scene that we're talking about. Um, should we uh, go to your boudoir? <laughs> I have something to tell you. Okay. It's been a while for me. Uh, two and a half years, to be exact. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. I know. It's okay. I've never even done it before. <laughs> okay. What? What? What can I do? to make you feel comfortable. Make me 30 years younger. Why would I do that? I want to make love to this you. You take as much time as you need, and I will be right here, not going anywhere. Ali, you mentioned that Trevon Free directed this episode. And for those who are unfamiliar, he's a multi-talented writer, director, actor, comedian. In fact, he won the Academy Award for his 2020 short, Two Distant Strangers. Ali, how wonderful that Free trusted your instincts with that scene. He got it. You know what I mean? Trevon Free didn't even say, oh, I don't know. You know, it's a... He just said, great, go for it. Like, go from the heart, blah, blah, blah. And I felt so trusted by him. It really matters, you know? Not only that yeah. you have wonderful writing, but there's a director there that day that's going to take the cue from the actors instead of a preconceived notion of the way the script should get played. Does that make sense? Absolutely. You know what I mean? I know. You, you guys mean. have a really amazing team. You've all mentioned Jenny Connor a bit for our listeners who might not be familiar. She is such an amazing talent. I know her work best from the HBO series Girls. She's done a ton of other stuff. Simone, had you ever worked with Jenny before? No, I had I had never worked with Jenny before, and I'm a new creator. And when you're a new creator, basically, they say, you know, you have to have someone supervise you, which, of course, is understandable. And they gave me this list of five women, and she was the top of the list. Mm. And I said, I want her. And they said, well, she's probably not going to do it. <laughs> I said, well, I don't care. I don't care. I said, give her the script and see what happens. And we gave her the script on Friday. On Monday, I got a call that she wanted to meet me. I went to Bloomingdale's and bought an outfit because I showed up to work in sandals and jeans. <laughs> and they said, Jenny is not going to want to work with you if you look like that. Really? And I said, okay, this is true. <laughs> true story. And I showed up and I was all dressed up and like she was all dressed up and it was like a meet cute, you know, it was really funny. So oh. that's how that happened. Yeah. What a team you guys yeah. ended up putting together. Yeah. Sophia, yeah. I know people in your industry don't always film stuff in order. And mm. this show is such a progression of someone's story. There's even a great device that's used that shows how many days sober Sam has been at the beginning of each episode. Did you have to kind of get 
back and forth into different parts of Sam's journey while you were filming? Or were you able to do that in a linear fashion? Um, Yeah, I mean, I think for the most part, even if the episodes were shot out of order, you know, it made sort of progressive sense. It didn't get super tricky for me until episode eight, which is a flashback. Mm. Um, that was very challenging um, just because of the way that we we shoot is it's sort of at lightning speed. So on like a Friday night, you know, I'd wrap somewhere around nearing her first year of sobriety. And then by Monday, it was, you know, years back. And so that, that was really hard, just shifting that quickly and sort of kind of trying to remind myself physically where she would have been at that time. And, and, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe not as good of a listener and not as present and sort of more self-centered because I think that I hoped that we would see, even if it was sort of subtle, um, these changes in just the way that Sam interacts with other people throughout the season and so mm-hmm. I just tried to, uh, trying to rewind that very quickly was a bit of a challenge, but otherwise I felt really grateful for the structure of the show because it, it set really finite parameters for me as a performer. That makes sense. How was it letting go of this role day to day? You know, I don't know that I did while we were shooting. I'm not really one of typically one of those actors that says, you know, like I was just in it the whole time. I've never intentionally done that before. I actually am not sure why anyone would want to. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Seems like a really bizarre thing to do to me. But I think just be again, because of the sort of lightning speed nature of shooting a half hour, I just spent more time as Sam than myself. You know, um, Mm. I was on set for pretty long hours um, and, and, really, really focused on this person and this very specific journey much more than my own at the time. And so I think only when it ended did I really realize how deep in it I was. And I needed to kind of come home and, you know, take a month to sort of recalibrate, I think, a little bit. Single drunk female star Sophia Black D'Elia speaking with City Lights senior producer Kim Drobes. They were joined by Delia's co-star Ali Sheedy and the show's creator, Simone Finch. The TV show airs on the Freeform Network each Thursday, then re-airs on Hulu each Friday. More information is available on our website. WABE.org slash City Lights. Due to the COVID 19 Omicron surge, True Colors Theatre Company made the call to cancel their planned performances of A Raisin in the Sun. Instead, they decided to hold readings of three raisin inspired plays and created a series called The Reality of Realty. The first in the series, Calandra Smith's Younger, was held last weekend, and you can visit our website to listen back to my conversation with Calandra Smith. This weekend's reading is Beneath Us Place by Kwame Kwe Arma, The story follows the life of 
Raisin in the Sun character Beneath the Younger from 1959 to the present. The last reading in True Colors three-part series will be during the weekend of March 11th. Robert O'Hara will read from The Etiquette of Vigilance. His play is a contemporary look at the Younger family, set 50 years after the time of A Raisin in the Sun. More information about showtimes and tickets can be found on their website, truecolorstheater.org. You've been listening to City Lights, our daily exploration of arts and culture. Monday at 11 a.m., it's quiz time. Peter Sagal of NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me joins us ahead of Thursday's show in Atlanta at the fabulous Fox Theater. Our theme music is the first time written and performed by Joe Granston with his jazz band, courtesy of Hot Shoe Records. City Light's senior producer is Kim Drobes. Summer Evans is our producer, and our engineer is Shelley Canavy. I'm your host, Lois Reitzes. We'd love for you to connect with City Lights on social media. We're at WABE City Lights on Facebook and Instagram, and you can follow me on Twitter at L-O-I-S-R-E-I-T-Z-E-S. Thanks for listening to WABE Atlanta. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Have you donated to WABE yet? I know you've heard us talking about why it's important, but it doesn't have to be this big decision. You can give at whatever amount fits your budget. It can be a spur-of-the-moment thing. You already get so much out of public radio, so just go for it. Visit wabe.org donate and become a member right now. And thank you.